Welcome to MMO, the Mike Mike and Oscar show. They cover films then, win the gold, but now we're talking Pixar films for all of these shows. From Toy Story 1 up through Toy Story 4, this is the MMO, the Pixar Rewatch Show. Yes, yes, you know the intro, we are back. Welcome to another episode of MMO, doing more with the Pixar Rewatch here. This is what, episode number three of this? Episode number three. We probably should have made this episode number two because we thought this was going to be episode number seven. <laughs> but then again, we came back to this out of necessity. We want to do the Finding Nemos uh, pretty soon, but we're going to have to do a couple oners the next two weeks because it's just so busy with Avengers, so busy with interviews. Yeah, that's kind of what it boils down to is that you know Avengers is going to take up a majority of this week for, for you know us and a lot of other pods out there. So we figured instead of trying to cram one of the major Pixar rewatches in with one of the maybe the Nemo episode or Cars episode, something where we'd have to watch a billion films for one episode, we right. figured we'd do a one-off. And uh, A Bug's Life is next. It's the second Pixar film that was ever made. That's what we're covering today. Uh, I am Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. But Mike, a, a Bug's Life is kind of doesn't have its place. It, other than it being the second Pixar movie, it kind of maybe gets forgotten a little bit. It does get for, forgotten or forgetting or forgotten. One, forgotten. Yeah. Forgotten. It does, and in my expectations, I'm going to talk about it. Like, I thought this was like a lesser Pixar film in many ways, and yet right. rewatching this was an absolute joy. Mm. Studying it was a joy. There's so, so much stuff to talk about, and I can't believe how good this movie is. Yeah, it, it's really high quality, and Pixar really hit the ground running. And like we said, that's what we're covering today. It's our Pixar rewatch series. If you've not been with us yet, we'll tell you about how these things go. The Pixar rewatch series, we're going all throughout Pixar's filmography. We're going all the way up to and through Toy Story 4, which will be out in theaters this summer. We're going not necessarily one by one. We take them kind of on a franchise by franchise basis. We're just going to keep skipping one movie at a time and then coming back <laughs> yeah. to it. And... It's the memento series of, of, of pacing is what it is. Yeah. But we did Toy Story story one already that was the first episode that kind of kicked off the series then we went and did the cover the monsters episodes right. uh, we did one episode for monsters university and monsters inc covering those we're now back at the beginning here covering pixar's a bug's life which is going to be the second pixar film ever made and how we handle these episodes is we have a, a non-spoiler section and a spoiler section which is the spoiler section is the second half it's more about the you know the feels and mm -hmm. and, and what we remember about the pixar movies and more most importantly we're going over the 22 screenwriting principles of pixar mm -hmm. Uh, basically what brings them the success that they have. The secret sauce. Yeah, we're tying those into every spoiler section review. That's the second half. But every first half is going to be kind of the specs, the the production values, all, all the stuff you're used to in the non-spoiler section of like our Oscar sprint profiles and movie event reviews, as well as we're concentrating on the story of the Pixar company. Yes. Uh, we're highlighting how it got to where it is, kind of the twists and turns that made it the giant in the industry that it is today from its uh, origin and, and starting off as a separate company owned by Steve Jobs, right. essentially, and not part of Disney, only working for Disney until it became part, and the maybe arguably the most important part of Disney in the recent past decade or so. Absolutely, yeah. After Steve Jobs kind of just renovated the whole computer business, personal computing business, he leaves Apple, and then he he finds Pixar, and he just, you know, 
know, ushers Pixar to glory before he goes back to Apple. It's to nice make... to have that kind of disposable income <laughs> around and harness that kind of creativity. But yeah, <laughs> it's a force of nature. So I'm going to get into the cast and crew to start us off per usual. It'll just be a quick one today. Co-directed by John Lasseter of the Toy Stories and Andrew Stanton, uh, who'd go on to direct Wally and the two Finding Nemo's there. Uh, Mike's going to go over the writing credits. Can you just do that throughout my hand? <laughs> As for the cast, we get Flick, the protagonist, and he is voiced by Dave Foley. I thought this was such an unlikely choice because this guy's been a character actor, comedian his whole career, Dave Foley. He's from Kids in the Hall. He was in Blast from the Past as like the friend character. Yeah. It's just a, the weirdest choice, but he, he plays it beautifully. And Kids in the Hall had just ended. I, I, I remember when the mm. reruns were still on Comedy Central at this time when this movie came out. So he was uh, very well known by people that had to, he, you know, went in elementary school and came <laughs> home to watch those reruns after after class. But that show just ended in 94, four mm-hmm. years prior to this. So A lot of TV personalities to come here in this cast. Voldemort plays Hopper. Just <laughs> pass over that. Veep and Seinfeld's Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays Ada. I love her voice in this. Yeah, this she movie. was awesome. You have a, a baby Hayden Panettiere. Didn't even sound like her. Because if you go by the young girl that was in Remember the Titans mm-hmm. with that southern twang, I couldn't even place her in this movie, but apparently she was the uh, dot. dot. Dot, yes. Yes, Dot. The great Phyllis Diller is the Ant Queen. Phenomenal. And great cast. Listen to this, Mike. You have Spin City's Richard Kind, who's got that unique <laughs> voice from, of course, Big Mouth, uh, Red Oaks. He's been in a ton of stuff. You have Frazier's David Hyde Pierce, Wet Hot American Summer, etc. Rescued's Dennis Leary. Yeah. And everything. Great comedian. Playing a ladybug. Everybody Loves Raymond's Brad Garrett. The older brother there. Yeah. (laughs) You have Life with Bonnie's Bonnie Hunt returning. She was in Toy Story. Or, I'm sorry, she was in the Monsters movies. Yeah. Was that true? Or was she in Toy Story? I don't have good recall. I'm terrible. Bonnie Hunt and Holly Hunter (laughs) are nothing alike, but I will always get them confused for one another. What if Holly Hunter's middle name is Bonnie? (laughs) Holly Bonnie Hunter. (laughs) That's a tongue twister. The great Madeline Kahn, Michael from all the Mel Brooks movies. Just hilarious. One of my mm-hmm. favorite actresses of all time is in this. She plays the butterfly. You have John Ratzenberger, who it took me four films to realize this, but I'm just realizing this now, and we'll confirm it down the line. John Ratzenberger, the mustache from Cheers, he's in every Pixar movie. Oh, yeah. He's a voice in every single yeah, one, I think. Yeah, he's the secret, yeah. He had the privilege of being the actor that just yells throughout this Pixar movie. <laughs> we seem to have one per movie so far. Because you're a walking stick! <laughs> Tom Hanks it's yelling in, uh, in Toy Story 1, and Billy Crystal yelling in the Monsters movies, and now it's John Ratzenberger's turn. Because <laughs> you're a clown! <laughs> All right, Mike, so you got the history of the Pixar company for A Bug's Life. Yeah, we're in 1994 now, and the company of some 40-plus employees of Pixar is busy at work at Toy Story when there's a fabled lunchtime conversation that Another. happens between John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, Pete Doctor, and Joe Ranft. Uh, apparently, A Bug's Life would become the centerpiece of the second Pixar film for two main reasons. One, per this conversation, the idea of having insects as leads in a film that is computer animated was appealing to the Pixar heads because insects, much like manufactured toys, had relatively smooth and block-like bodies mm-hmm. that were wholly within the capabilities of the graphics Pixar had available to them to replicate. Uh, this is the part that reported 
reportedly was discussed during one of those infamous lunch meetings. The second main reason, though, was that Walt Disney had brought to life his own insect-centric short film some 60 years prior in 1934's The Grasshopper and the Ants, which was a take on Aesop's fable story of the ant and the grasshopper, which the Pixar brain trust all agreed would be used as a starting point were they to pursue a feature-length Pixar-centered film around ants. Fascinating that they take the break from Toy Story, making Toy Story, and during their break, they come up with their next movie. One of the things you'll notice about early Pixar and their inception, they kind of had this group of ideas once they got the green light to go ahead and start making movies for Disney, and all mm. of them kind of bled one into the other, and the creative processes all kind of started around the same time, even though the entire company was supposed to be hard at work making Toy Story first. Right. But the, we also had the inception of A Bug's Life here. Right. We had the inception of Monsters, Inc., which we talked about in the last movie as well. All those were kind of around the same time. But And they would kind of like hand off and delegate responsibilities for development developing the next film while they're focusing on making the first film. That's why this one is co-directed. Andrew Stanton actually kind of took the baton. Lasseter's making and finishing up Toy Story, and Stanton's focusing on this, which was uh, fascinating. Really smart. So right away, basically, if you were to combine Pixar's knowledge of Disney filmmaking history and their vision for what was within their powers to reliably produce on screen, you could already see how the wheels were in motion for A Bug's Life to come to be. Eventually, during 1995, the structure for this film was pitched to Disney boss Michael Eisner, who gives the green light even before officially optioning the script to be the second film of the Disney and Pixar original three-picture deal, which we talked about. In the, we talked about that in the Monsters, Inc. episode. We talked about that in the Toy Story episode. That three-picture contract for 20-some-odd million dollars was really the, the saving grace in a lot of ways to keep Pixar in existence at that time. Fascinating how they chose their first few stories. Like the, This first story was buddy road trip comedy, often plays really well in animated films. I mean, just go back to Robin Hood, Jungle Book, etc., etc. Sure. You know, that's one Disney trope right mm-hmm. there. That's one go-to. And here, of course, okay, let's just, uh, I forget the word for it. It's a big vocabulary word. Let's personify animals. And that'll be our another one. Obviously, it's been redone a thousand times. Yeah. Lion King. Again, the Jungle Book in a way. So the, the, those are two main go-tos. First two films out of the franchise. And they know they have the basis for a story. There's no secret that Seven Samurai is one of the inspirations for this movie as well. Right. They have, you know, they're not relying wholly, and like you just said, the Aesop's Fable, they're not relying wholly on just innovative totally unique stories they're kind of piecing together they're making a frankenstein's monster of of their own kind of vision well it's smart because they they hadn't made all of the money yet when they right right for toy story so they're going with something tried and true again the archetypal disney animated stories they're sticking with those but like you said they're they're sticking like disney did with fairy tales Fables. It makes sense. It's smarter than to dip into something Walt Disney himself had done. It's like, oh, what are you going to do? Your, your boss did this. We're just copying him. Right. You know, it's kind of a smart uh, fallback there. But A Bug's Life would hit theaters November 25th, 1998, but it would be the second ant-centered animated film to be released wide in the U.S. that fall. Oh, as Hollywood. two months earlier at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 19th, 1998, another animation company, DreamWorks Animation, would release the film Ant. So whereas mm. Hollywood is littered with similar movies coming out around the same time covering the same subject matter the ants bugs life releases would be as a result of a much more intertwined origins than normal Mm. Uh, dreamworks was the brainchild of steven spielberg's ambulant entertainment and the animation of it was spearheaded by former disney executive jeffrey katzenberg wow former is the word in quotes there because katzenberg who is credited with much of the success in turning disney's animation feature outputs during the late 80s and early 90s he would leave disney because of a 
stop me if you've heard this before, giant disagreement and falling out with CEO Michael Eisner in 1994. Yeah, apparently Katzenberger was just an absolute tyrant. He knew it. He said it all the time, but I'm going to run this my way. And he, yeah, he butted heads with a lot of people. I mean, he made some great movies because of his visions, but absolutely tough guy to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Apparently it was just two, Katzenberg and Eisner, two giant personalities. Eisner doesn't have the greatest reputation, I'm learning, <laughs> as we go through these. Also true. Not an easy guy to deal with, it seems, but prior to leaving the company, Katzenberg had been privy to the capabilities of replicating insect bodies on screen and was very much aware of the possibilities regarding the available technology and animation at that time, and having been a part of the Disney animation team, was very much aware and a part of the story being batted around in the Disney and Pixar offices, which would eventually come to be known as a bug's life. So mm -hmm. it's kind of this weird gray area where Katzenberg was part of the story, the building the story of a bug's life. He departs. Pixar is working on Toy Story. They haven't yet greenlit anything or given any kind of notification that they're going forward with a bug's life at this point, except mm -hmm. for the idea that they're behind the scenes. They had a story. They knew there was something there that they could do if they wanted to with the tech available. So it's not even exactly like he stole the story from anyone. Mm -hmm. It just kind of was one of those things where it seemed like two different companies, you know, one guy breaks off from one company. That company's already working on one story. He takes the idea, since it's not a, anyone's property, and starts working on it himself. And we kind of have these two versions of the same movie. That is wild. And just another point on Katzenberg, they butted heads with Pixar. He butted heads with Pixar throughout that process, you know, after reading that book. And it's it would have been a totally different 10-year deal or whatever that we talked about in the Monsters, Inc. episode when they finally hit that 10-year deal. Or maybe they hit that 10-year deal later. But when they do hit the 10-year deal after the three-picture mm -hmm. deal, if Katzenberg was still there that I don't know if it would have happened. Because they already walked away from the table, and you think about right. Katzenberg with all his successes, right? Mm -hmm. It would have been hard to like push him aside and say, all right, don't we're going to let this little group of uh, you know one-hit wonders or two-hit wonders right. just control it all themselves when he's had such a you know, bit, you know heavy thumb. Well, to that end, and you wonder, it's one of those things like, what if, how things could have gone differently in history? Because mm -hmm. this provided, you know, Pixar was a one-hit wonder at this time, but this provided them the opportunity to go head-to-head -head with that guy right. and prove who was more valuable and more capable. And, and we'll get into those, how that turned out in specs, but just to finish up the story of Pixar here, as such, uh, once he finally joined DreamWorks, Katzenberg went to work on making a story into a feature film, and obviously that film would become Ants with a Z, so Ants, just to make sure you pronounce it right. Yeah, so, I don't like the Z. <laughs> quite literally, both films came from the very same source and many of the same conversations. Thus, there was an added motivation, like we just talked about, for Pixar to create a better film than Ants, the success of which I'll hit on in specs. That's kind of where Pixar was. So it, it's it's still early days. Mm -hmm. If you take the, the earliest inception of this story, where still Pixar is kind of finding their way they're working on toy story they don't even have a release date yet steve jobs is worried still up to 95 worrying about mm -hmm. should i sell this off to somebody else should i sell pixar to microsoft oh no we have this contract with disney great but disney can't give me a firm release date so i don't know what i'm doing here yet mm -hmm. really strange times and of those strange times from those come two very similar movies with almost identical stories almost identical technological capabilities competition breeds a lot of creativity Sure. as one working principle there as a result of that but also like these guys are they're still hungry oh yeah. and pixar's 
hungry to the point where they just want to get the hell away from the oil refinery that they are <laughs> literally across from. They like they're in this podunk little office across from an oil refinery with all Crazy. that heavy machinery and and that's where they still are at this point i'm pretty sure as they're developing the story i got a couple production nuggets here just real quick i loved how they talk about the first draft of the script with yet again of super unlikable cast of characters so you had woody being that unlikable character in toy story right yep. and they have to rewrite the thing a hundred times and how do they solve that problem they basically, they, you have to change the motivations. You have to change the ultimate structure of the film. So the circus bugs had ulterior motives, and they hated how they came across in the first drafts. They changed their motives. They go for the misunderstanding route, the comic misunderstanding route, hmm. and now you have a bunch of characters that the audience can can, can like and, and empathize with. So that, that worked like a charm. Another thing I saw that was just blew my mind, Andrew Stanton draws the characters of tuck and roll those two bugs i love those two guys he draws those <laughs> characters after watching bugs fight in the second grade he is a second grader and he came up with those characters and all those these years later he puts, <laughs> puts them in a movie that is crazy that's fascinating and finally uh they developed software to animate and differentiate all of the hundreds of ants that were on screen at any one shot uh, as many as 800 at times. This is a fascinating process. Every, you know, big budget Hollywood blockbuster in the future from Lord of the Rings, etc., on down to Black Panther that we just saw and Avengers Infinity War and I'm sure Avengers Endgame. Mike, th that technology has been used time and again and it kind of originated here. They were able to take clusters of these characters, have mm. them do various animations, and they also were able to plug in a bunch of different looks so that all the ants sure. look the same and then just randomize it and it's just fascinating That's so crazy i wonder too like how much of what pixar is doing is just so they can brag about doing these absurd number of things like right. well, we, can, we can animate 800 ants we can we can animate two million plus different hairs yeah. on sully in the monsters like <laughs> all right yeah how much it's amazing how much they revel in the I guess, semantically minutia of right. everything. Things you wouldn't even think about. And they create a computer program to vary it all up. Crazy. And make it each each uh, little ant unique. And that's one of the other highlights of this story as we go along. We talked about this in Toy Story, how every step of the Pixar story is they're creating the technology as to do go. these yeah. things because it just doesn't exist, <laughs> which is nuts. Crazy. And I thought this was, the technology was going to be all about the bird, right? In the movie, and I was shocked to hear, oh yeah, that, yeah. that never was done before. We yeah. never saw battles with that many extras, unless it was for you know friggin' Cleopatra, or right. whatever those old Hollywood Using movies. Using all the you actual extras, yeah, use a couple thousand people. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Hey, I mean, this did lay the blueprint for me. You could see the Lord of the Rings having their blueprint Absolutely. laid out by this, too. And all, all kinds of movies, yeah, without question. Really fascinating stuff. So you got some specs here, Mike. A Bug's Life, written by Lasseter, Stanton, Ramped, and they all get original story by credits. Stanton, Don McHenry, and Bob Shaw all get screenplay by credits. Big group of them. Lasseter and Stanton are credited as co-directors. I would assume this would be prior to the DGA rule, the Directors Guild of America, limiting one director credit 
two unless you're working as a team because mm-hmm. the co-director credits aren't around anymore. Yeah, this was a literal passing of the baton yeah. and a timeshare, essentially. Right. A different situation. <laughs> I, I would agree that it wouldn't fall under the new rules. Uh, this movie had its debut around Thanksgiving 1998, November 25th, 1998, 95-minute runtime on a G rating. Ran Newman is back once again to do the music, Sharon <laughs> Callahan, the cinematography, oh, yeah. and Lee Uncritch, the editing. But all that matters and all you want to know at this point is how well did The Bug's Life do when compared to Ants? Yeah, I'm curious. So let's talk about it. Uh, 7.2 IMDb rating on 245,000 plus reviews for A Bug's Life. That on IMDb. That bests Ants 6.6 IMDb rating on 138,000 plus reviews. So did you like Ants? No. No, you don't? <laughs> I think I only saw it like once back in 2000. Because I, I kind of liked it. it. It's not It's not a bad movie. I mean, obviously, Katzenberg is, is, is very, he, he knows what he's doing. He's extremely talented. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But no, I was not, I, I don't, I barely even remember it, to be honest right. with you. I remember it being okay. It's yeah. kind of funny. Woody Allen talking like that. But I, I now it would be weird to rewatch. Well, I think it was just stigmatized for me because I was so heavily brought up with Disney. Right. And I knew, like, wait a minute. <laughs> a bug's life exists. You're not a bug. Bugs Life. <laughs> that's that's makes sense knowing you. And you definitely cling. To hold grudges for hold no grudges reason. For no reason. And you get yeah. You're you're like a fan. You're like a true fan. Yeah. Psychotic is another word that you could put it. Fanatic. Yeah. Is is the derivation of that word fan. Yeah. Uh, Bugs Life has a certified fresh Rotten Tomato score of ninety two percent. With a maybe surprisingly lower seventy two percent audience score on nearly a million reviews. They are comparing it to Toy Story a thousand Probably. times, and that just gets me aggravated. Probably the average. Critic score uh, was a 7.91 out of 10, but the average audience score is only a 3.3 out of 5. Ants actually outdoes a bug's life here mm-hmm. with a 93% certified fresh rotten tomato score and a higher number of critic reviews. Only 85 critic scores for a bug's life, 92 critics weighed in for ants. However, every other rotten tomato metric is lower for ants than it is compared to a bug's life, as ants carries a 52% audience score on 650,000 plus reviews and average scores from critics of a 7.65 compared to A Bug's Life, again, 7.91, and a 3 out of 5 for the audience score, the average audience score for Ants compared to, again, a 3.3 out of 5 for A Bug's Life. Okay, a lot of movie critics in the 1990s, centered in major cities, who's the king of the major city indie film movement at the time? Woody Allen Mm. is in Ants. Mm -hmm. I think they Woody Allen being at the head of an animated film actually got maybe 10% more critics to review his movie rather than the other movie. <laughs> single This is uh, no, you know, not, no knowledge of the actual That's numbers That's like a six whatsoever. degrees of MMO chain. My guess is that Woody Allen just appealed to more movie critic types like us Could at that time. Could be very right. I, uh, certainly the, he had enough cachet still left just, in him. Yeah, just time. for that 3%. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't remember Ants being a better movie, but I remember it being a solid movie. They're, they're both pretty good. Their metascores are also very similar, though, again, A Bug's Life wins out, 77 to 72 there. But we all know what matters most to production companies in such head-to-head battles, and that's how the almighty dollar breaks down. <laughs> yes, not quite Oscars. Uh, a Bug's Life made $162.8 million domestically, and its total was 363.25 worldwide for its box office. It debuted at number one after it was released nationwide and stayed in the top three for four weeks, where it would finish as wow. the highest-grossing G-movie of 1998 and the fourth highest grossing domestic box office film and fifth highest grossing worldwide box office film of all of 98 all of this was done on a 120 million dollar budget how did ants do 
And while costing reportedly $105 million similarly, could not match the financials despite its six-week-plus head start in theaters. And mm. did 90.8 domestically, about 60% of what A Bug's Life did domestically, and 171.75 million worldwide box office. That was less than 50% of what A Bug's Life ended up yeah. doing. Uh, it did manage to stay in the top five for its first seven weeks in theaters, but would fail to finish in the top 20 of either the highest-grossing domestic or worldwide films of 1998. This would prove to be Pixar's first major head-to-head win over a competing similarly animated film, mm. and the sweetest of all for Disney is it was done so over the man in Katzenberg, who was reportedly claiming most of the credit for turning Disney animation around in the 80s and 90s in the first place. A boon for Disney for sure, but probably a bigger one for Pixar that they would be sure to highlight in negotiations with the mouse at a later date. Yeah, that bonds them together, sure. Disney and Pixar, in many ways. That's fascinating. And as if Pixar needed more legitimizing after Toy Story's right. financial success, here they are. They basically just shut down a former Disney bigwig. True, true, but at the same time, are they just one-hit wonders? H- had this one story right. been brewing for so long, and now we're kind of doing an archetypal story mm-hmm. that is not all that special, is not all that different from another film right. that's jumping in front of you yep. six weeks ahead, I mean, or four weeks ahead, whatever you said. I don't listen to you, Mike. <laughs> I think that's a huge win for that for, for Bugs Life to make that uh, kind of bank, and of course to uh, to get nominated for the Oscar and to take Pixar off on a rocket here. Yeah, and the Oscar is the the only nomination that it did have. Still, we're not in the place yet where animated film is a category. So the only Oscar that it was nominated for was Randy Newman's Best Original Music for Comedies or Musicals, which apparently was a separate Oscar category back in 1998. Still, as well, uh, they did not win. It's the time of your life, mate. <laughs> Live it well. I was. Did you like that song? No, of it's course not. But song. it's fun to sing. I did. I, I, I was like, you got a friend in me is like catchy and it's like heartwarming. Right. This song, I was like, oh god, no. All right, Mike, let's talk about a plot premise. A misfit ant looking for, quote, unquote, warriors to save his colony from greedy grasshoppers recruits a group of bugs that turn out to be an inept circus troop. Pretty fun, huh? Yeah. It pretty, pretty well encapsulates what was going on there. Do you remember what your expectations were? All I know is this thoroughly exceeded my expectations. I expected a lesser Pixar film. I expected this to be something that we were going to package together with a couple more Pixar films and do like this and The Good Dinosaur or whatever. I I had no idea uh, that this is as good of a movie as it is. Uh, I had no idea it was going to be as funny as it is. It's really incredible. we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, I, I do remember really liking this movie when I saw it as a kid, but there was so many, like, callbacks. I guess I remembered more of this movie than I thought, mm-hmm. or at least it's buried in my subconscious more so than I thought, because there's so many one-liners in this movie, I'm like, I remember saying that yeah. a lot <laughs> as a child. So I, I was expecting to be pleased by it, and it certainly lives up, and it still holds up, I think, some years later. This is the derivation of all my humor. Right. This yeah. film. More or less exactly what <laughs> happened. Yeah. It's pretty good. All right. So let's start with the production values. Uh, number one, that establishing shot where we zoom in like a, like you're a helicopter, like it's a freaking Kubrick movie. I was just going to say, like it's a blue velvet there. <laughs> yeah. We're flying into this ant island, this one tree on this one little island surrounded by this little pond. And obviously coming from on high and then zooming out and you just... 
it's it works on your imagination so thoroughly well here i'm just so pleased with that in terms of an establishing shot because mike how many more millions of stories are there like this with just animated ants doing stuff that's wonderful it's i like brilliant. how sec I like secluded they make it too like this is the as opposed to the monsters where you're laying the ground rules for this entirely new world right it's ant island it's yeah. only this piece of land don't worry about everything else that's going on around right. it this could be just like a dirt hill in the middle of a giant puddle on the street in manhattan mm-hmm. but that's not important right now it's just this island it's brilliant and for us to think of the whole vast world beyond but it be able to focus right it's, it's really smart mike the bird animations are phenomenal i i did not expect those to hold up i don't remember that bird from so I have an well, issue with with those actually. Like I the way the bird looks great, right? It looks yeah. phenomenal. I think when it moves, it's like too static for me. But I'm wondering if I'm just because I was obsessed with Sully's fur and okay. the movement they put into Sully's fur in the monsters. Well, movies. maybe they're like you know what we gotta improve the feather technology, the fur technology. We right. gotta improve the. That's texture. what I'm wondering because when yeah. the birds hopping around, everything's just kind of static on them. I definitely thought with the animation, like, they're not going for broke on the animation. Yeah, they're developing technology to True. animate 800 ants, but ants, especially cartoon ants, there's not a high bar to cross. Well, that was, that was the appeal of right. it, right, in the first place. They knew that ants, yes, they're tiny, but if you blow them up, they're just blocks, basically. Right. They're like three oblong-shaped blocks. In Toy Story. I mean, toys are mass-produced. Right, exactly. It's not like you can make a shiny, one-surface toy. And we it's talked about how in Toy Story, the weakest animation was of the humans. Those right. are the most difficult ones to, re- to replicate. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that kind of carried over here. I think the, the difficult, the animation looked beautiful, except for when the bird was hopping around. It just looked like a, a drawing, almost, for me. But that improved in the next movie as well. And so. yet, though, it still worked on me because the bird was scary as hell. It was like a horror movie device. Smart. I'm surprised yeah. like, kids are not terrified of birds, of course. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the smartest part about it they kept zooming back yeah. and showing the bird from afar and we're like oh yeah that's just a tiny little finch <laughs> it's a tidy little goldfinch or whatever the hell that bird is so this is goofy why of course we shouldn't be afraid don't be afraid kids it's just a goofy bird you see out your window <laughs> that is brilliant that is absolutely pixar brilliance right there i thought the scenery is really just lovely and beautiful as well you got you got that little ant island with a rock you have the little grass, and it's just really smart. The grasshoppers are pretty scary, and they're animated differently than the ants. They're very their texture is totally different. Yeah. they look like they got this crusty. There's more parts to them too. Yeah. It looked like you know there was more more like joints and I don't know covering. Maybe I don't know how true to life they got it to an actual grasshopper, right. but they looked great. They really did. The, the crazed dog grasshopper is like a gray color. <laughs> you got that. Hopper with his scars mm-hmm. and the eyelid that's like milked over. I thought those he's details, a giant as compared to every yeah. other grasshopper as well. Details are really smart. Mm-hmm. I liked how some of the older ants are wrinkly. I thought that was funny. Uh, <laughs> I also like that there's subtle differences between all the ants, and we, we talked about how that happens. And, you know, you really could have had a difficulty you know coming up with unique ants especially when there's 800 of them on screen right. at one point and then finally you know you have the circus bugs that are so unique and they got their own personalities and they they are perfect foils to one another it's just it's really smart brad garrett's bug was the only one i'm like <laughs> that, that's just a rhinoceros that's not yeah. a real bug 
Yeah, it's like <laughs> but everything else, off, Rhino. Yeah, but everything yeah. else, I'm with you. They, they look and they look true to life, especially the the beautiful colors on the butterfly and how that floated. The butterfly was able to float around and stuff. They really animation at this point. We're only talking still 1998 when mm-hmm. everyone's using a dial-up modem and using AOL chat rooms sure. to meet people. Like you got to remember where we are as a place in time versus what they were able to do and put on screen. This really was revolutionary stuff. Well, I'll be honest with you. The, this. You know, this is based on Seven Samurai and how much everybody mm-hmm. loves that movie in a way, right? Because mm-hmm. these guys grew up watching Seven Samurai, right. Magnificent Seven, etc., etc. These characters are just as unique, individually unique, as the Seven Samurai, as the Magnificent no Seven. No question. And it, they don't waste any reps. It, they're very generous, as the MCU will be, as for future Pixar movies, as future Disney movies, that we've praised them time and again, Mike. They, this script is totally generous for joke with jokes for all yeah jokes for all everybody's got a few little gimmicks everybody's got a a few gags to their name everybody gets a few jokes even the villain in the way that monsters inc we highlighted the the efficiency which with they laid the ground rules of that world Mm -hmm. in in you know the first nine minutes this one the first half hour the first couple minutes when we finally get introduced to the character the carnival bugs yep the circus bugs the characterizations were given of them in like this montage bang 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 you know exactly what type of bug each one of them are and which like mood they're supposed to be representing the economy of that yeah. is so difficult to to pull sure. off i can't get over it but of course these are just this Masters. is a story machine this is six screenwriters this is everybody cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and getting it so that is just streamlined and it is really is brilliant and you don't you make sure you every line of dialogue does a few things it's exposition it's yep. comedy and it and it sucks you into the drama of it, it does all three all the time and there are literal gags in act one that turned out to turn out to be major plot yeah. points later on same with toy story and, and then of course catchphrases are just hammers you know at the payoffs for the for act three it's just and again it's brilliant so I, i'm just really uh, impressed we kind of did character animations and script thoughts kind of in one fell swoop there mike so i think we're we can get into um, some spoilers yeah you were ready to dance already I, I guess so. we're not dancing, though. We're doing something different for the spoiler warnings for these ones. Are you really? But uh, Well, that's what I did for the Monsters one. We, we kind of incorporate something from the movie. Oh, that's true. A spoiler warning. Because here's the song? Yeah, well, I guess we can do a song if you want. We'll be back. Spoilers ahead! Stand back, ye flies! We are the greatest warriors in all Pugdom! Warrior bugs! My sword! Swish, swish, clang, clang. Little John? Oh, Robin! Justice is my sword and truth shall be back, This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for A Bug's Life, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar as part of the Pixar Rewatch series. If you have not seen A Bug's Life yet, if you do not want to know what happens, this is a good place for you to pause this episode. Go watch the movie. We'll come back and hit play. We'll be here waiting for you when you get there. If you have seen the movie already, if you're curious to know what Mike and I think, or if we've hyped up the movie so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly go another minute without knowing what happens to these dear little bugs, you are in the right place. This is all spoilers for A Bug's Life from Pixar, episode number three of the Mike, Mike, and Oscar Pixar Rewatch series. Michael, we like to start these spoiler sections off with the 22 rules of screenwriting success brought to you by Pixar that you have highlighted and that are well known throughout screenwriting classes in this nation. So what do we have for this episode? Yeah, this is the third episode, but it's the fourth movie we've covered. So Mm -hmm. this is rule number four, and it's talking about cause and effect. It's talking about causality, essentially, in storytelling. Here's the rule. Rule number four. Once upon a time, there was blank. 
period. Every day, comma, blank. One day, comma, blank. Because of that blank, because of that blank, until finally, blank. Now, everybody's head just exploded. <laughs> Here's what it boils down to. Once upon a time, there was an ant colony. Every day, they gather food for an offering to grasshoppers, who are bullies. One day, a crackpot inventor in the colony named Flick clumsily knocks the offering into the water mm. while the grasshoppers are coming. Because of that, the grasshoppers double their quota for the end of the summer, disallowing them to gather food for themselves. Because of that, Flick, feeling guilty, ventures to the bug city to find tough bugs, <laughs> but it mistakenly finds circus bugs desperate for an audience. Because of that, the circus bugs will stay at the ant colony despite their better interests because they're so starved for applause. And, and this comic situation works now, right? This mm -hmm. comic misunderstanding. Until finally, their ruse as tough bugs is broken and they must be both courageous and creative in how they vanquish the grasshoppers forever to finish the movie. This is like the well-thought-out story structure opposite of the improv the go-to rule for improv where it's like yeah. and then and yes, then and, and then yes and yes and yes and this is like this happened so because this happened this happened and because this happened this happened yeah and it's it seems to loan itself well to a dramatic piece of storytelling which you can still do under the guise of i think i just hit puberty but under the guise <laughs> of this children's movie about ants it's incredible <laughs> that they hit on the themes that they hit on, right? Yeah. Class structure, mm -hmm. all right? The, the glorious revolution, essentially. And, and all of that centered around a, a, a piece about just telling the truth and versus lying and, you know, crying wolf and, and that fable, right. right? So you got that, that fable as the centerpiece of this story about class structure and, and with ants and freaking ladybugs. Absolutely. Incredible. Let's get into our heartbreaks and happiness section here. Did this movie break your heart at all or is this kind of, you know, lesser than Toy Story? That's so funny. I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> uh, yes, I think there is no doubt the emotional investment right. is less for the viewer in this yeah. movie. It's unfair to compare this to Toy Story. So, I, and Monsters, Inc., for that matter. Sure. Because, I, again, I wonder, with the triangle of a human the being... A human conduit, yeah. With the little girl boo, mm -hmm. with the Andy, Andy yep. obviously, it, it's a little different. And now, they try to make up for it with the Dot character in this one. I mean, yes. Dot's supposed to be the baby, the boo character, the baby sister character, the little mm -hmm. one that we kind of... And that, that her interaction in the crux of the conflict for our protagonist, where she presents him with the rock after he's going, you know, that was the most heart... Mm -hmm. I, I, I got a little misty-eyed oh, at good. that moment. <laughs> I, I think it, there are some heartbreak scenes, but it's not to the level of Toy Story. I agree. Versus Inc. So I we agree. both agreed on that, I guess. Here's the thing that really shook me to the bone, though. I had no idea the stakes were going to be as high and then paid off. Because there's life and death sure. at every corner from flaming death early on in the movie yeah. with uh, the fl Mr. Fleabag there. I want to hang out with those flies, man. To, yeah, to both instances with the birds and to the point where Hopper is threatening to squish people throughout yeah. the film and then he's actually going to go along with a plan that does squish somebody, execute somebody at the end of that film. This is a rated G piece. <laughs> We're talking about class structure so we got to put some stakes on it and then there's a horrifying screaming for your life death of the villain at the end of the film. 
Can that, you believe that? I the the end of Hopper and how he meets his demise. Oh no! Is that he's supposed to? He's he, screaming! Oh no! Yeah, he's screaming he, for he, his life! He's on the verge of basically squishing Flick. Yeah. And a bird, which was joked about in kind of like the the uh, Chekhov's bird throughout this Absolutely. movie, comes in and just swoops him up and feeds. Hopper, the antagonist, to her children. He is <laughs> writhing and screaming in agony. It's fucking dark. It is a dark movie. It's a rated G film. <laughs> I can't believe they got away with that. And that actually broke my heart in a sense. Oh, did it? It absolutely did. It was the most harrowing thing I saw all movie. And you actually came to respect Hopper throughout another of my best scenes that I'm going to talk about later. But... I do get very angry that at how the grasshoppers bully the ants early. That that's like a sure. stirring scene. So I don't know if that's a heartbreak, but that that touched me emotionally. Their there. disrespect for that long—you could tell—great casting as well. The voice, ca- the act, the casting throughout this whole thing was mm-hmm. great. But especially uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus's Ada and Phyllis Diller as the queen. I think Phyllis Diller was put picked specifically because she's like everybody's grandmother and you listen to her you think about your own grandma and then you bring in the yeah. antagonist to just disrespect the grand your grandmother to her face that's gonna make you invested it works yeah. it works so well yeah flick leaving town after the ruse is kind of blows up in his face that you know that's a moment there but it, again not on the level of the other two films but it, it works did did the conflict here have like uh, did it lack in in stakes for you like the whole conflict is, oh my God, he got circus performers, not actual warrior. First of all, this is exactly where the plot for Tropic Thunder came out of, because these yeah. guys are getting involved in a war they don't think is an actual war. They're just going to be playing along with it. It's first. just Aesop's fable, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it happens a lot, and when you make a com- comedic version of it, it yeah, this is how it it, it goes wrong, and I, that's funny. Here's one of the scenes that I, it's kind of my worst scene, but it's a great scene. Okay, but it doesn't work dramatically in the plot like flaming death backfires and you got life and death stakes with this movie <laughs> yes. and, and that flea is burnt up but he's totally fine which is at the very beginning of the movie when we first meet the circus performers they are literally performing in a circus pt flea as opposed to pt barnum is yeah. the circus ringleader i laughed hard at that because i remembered what was gonna happen and it just really <laughs> made me laugh i thought it was good so even though it's a worse scene for me it's kind of still a happiness because it works okay uh, how about you? Any any happiness moments early? I mean, the happiest I got was seeing the efficiency with the characterization, like we talked about in the non-spoilers. You got structure, screenwriting. Yeah, uh, I, I really, I really thought that was really efficient and just wholesome. And mm. John Joe Raff playing the Heimlich character right. was hilarious. <laughs> everything about going out, everything happening in that circus was hilarious. And you see this ragtag group of. Uh, Wobegon also ran underdog characters drinking at the bar afterwards. Right. And the and the fly is making jokes. I only got a Dana <laughs> All the flies are <laughs> luscious. So funny. <laughs> yeah. So luscious. like those moments, I, I the most the happiest I got was out of like the screenwriting goods, the comedic goods, the one liners yeah. that brought me back to my childhood. But nothing like plot structurally that I was like, this is the moment. You know. Right. The the kids putting on the play. For the circus performers, for the warriors, as made Dennis me laugh. Leary's ladybug character realizes oh what's happening, God. die! The kids are like die. Yeah, they cut like they cut forward, like they've been there for yeah. a couple hours, and the kids are all dead on the floor. Yeah, that was oh, hilarious. That killed me. Flick standing up to the hopper at the end, and then obviously the whole colony is going to back him up. That's a nice moment. I think the other one though is just like as a performer, and I don't know if this got you at all, but 
That, my friends, is the sound of applause. After that <laughs> harrowing first bird sequence, when Mantis and they all, and and, and of course uh, Joe Ramp's character, the, the the big fat caterpillar, is like sacrificing himself. Yeah. Suck it in, man! <laughs> to get away from that bird, that was a scary it was scene. It all part of the performance. And then they finally get that applause, yeah. and that holds them through, like I said, in the cause of an, an effect rule of Pixar storytelling. Well, that, and that's kind of that moment... They credit that to Flick, and that's what spurs Flick on to getting the big speech at the end with Dot, which was the heartwarming scene for me, which was like, it made my heart mush. Yeah. When Dot presents Flick, after Flick wants to run away with the circus because he's been banished, he presents Flick with the rock, which is, right. like you said, set up early in the movie, and it's a payoff here, and then is the final thing that pushes him over the edge is the is Brad Garrett's bug saying, well, you did right by us. You know, we're the thing that you did right. Yeah. That sort of invo- emotional investment worked on me. Uh, yeah. I, I think that was the highlight for me as well as the comedic stuff. That would be like A and B stories really coming together. It's, it's yeah. just brilliant writing. Yeah. And it, it's, I, I love it too. So uh, any more best scenes, Mike? I have one that I think is incredibly brilliant. No, I, go ahead. What do you got? I think Hopper with the gang... All right, and they're 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 basically partying uh, out in the desert, whatever. The, the mosquitoes. Tony Soprano scene. You have those two <laughs> bugs that want those two grasshoppers that don't want to go back, and that are trying to convince Hopper's brother mm-hmm. to you know convince him not to go back. But because Flick stood up to him last time, he knows he's got to go back. And then for him to illustrate it with by th- saying, "All right, I'll throw this one little piece of food at you," and the, all the foods in a big bottle, mm-hmm. like wheat, whatever balls of wheat. I'll throw. Does that hurt? Does that hurt? And then he rips off the whole thing, and then and you know the hundreds just bury these guys alive, and, and probably crushes them. And he's like, that's why we got to go back. I thought that was so clever, and it just it cut to the. It, it, Pixar's great at this. They're they're great at cutting to the essence, to the core of the drama of the drama that's happening. And that that is the a scene that does so many different things at once. Number one, you respect Hopper for his perceptiveness mm-hmm. in terms of the problem, and you relate to it because of the way how he. I mean, it's just like a great teacher You're in losing class. Grip, you got it, yeah. It just illustrating his point so well. It it is so smart. There is a scene in The Sopranos yeah. where they're at the clubhouse at the back of the Bada Bing. And Tony's looking around, mm-hmm. and he sees everyone's way too complacent and way too happy, and he's taking stock of himself. And so he just picks a fight with the youngest, buffest dude in his right. own group and just beats the shit out of him in front of everybody. I remember that. To, to establish, you know, I'm still the Don. We still got work to do. Everybody better listen to me. Don't get too freaking comfortable. You're the I'm the reason you're comfortable. Yeah. And it was so reminiscent of me to that scene. You know, it was like just like the leader staking his claim, making his plays but this was the g-rated version of it uh yeah absolutely great them, great screen yeah for them to go there and for the, them to put the life and death stakes back on the villains mm-hmm. and you actually feel something for the villains there it, it's so smart and then another best sequence is really that end sequence with how the rainstorm becomes like this apocalyptic storm for these That's so smart ants. too because Brilliant. there's there's other other movies and stuff we talk about where they never write away the obvious mm. and it's like of course it, Implement rain, implement weather, because if you're going to be outdoors, you should at some point anyway. But definitely, if you're dealing with ants and insects, a raindrop and a bird and all this stuff of nature that we take for granted should be right. a giant deal. It should be life or death and cause mayhem, and they illustrated that perfect. It literally is the darkest black skies <laughs> and those raindrops just totally effing everything up. Worst scenes, the the, the 
probably the staging for me because why is the offering right next to the uh pond, <laughs> to the, pond, yeah. the abyss of nowhere that's a good that's a good uh, <laughs> good point out any clumsy idiot could just knock it over and why uh, look i mean i'm just watching the the line of ants each with a giant thing of food mm-hmm bring and put it on the pile that pile should grow exponentially pretty fast like in a day a hundred pieces of grain should be <laughs> that should pile they should shouldn't be. have to work that hard you mean it's yeah like everyone if, if every one of you eighteen thousand ants gets one piece of food unless this is supposed to be like the microcosm of a day because i guess everything is just expedited oh there that's an interesting idea I hadn't it's not a Maybe. season yeah, really it's right. just like the morning but they call it summer they do, you know what I mean? but it's really the morning right. and at night it's going to rain. I don't know, with bugs. Uh, I had issues with coincidences. I mean, the the second half, the la- latter half of Act 2 is all about coincidences. Like, there's no proof that P.T. Flea is out looking for these characters, and then he just shows up, and when he shows yeah. up, everyone happens to stop what he they're doing. He does say that. And he happens to yeah. blow their cover immediately, yeah. with, he, despite any kind of objection. He does say that Flaming Death was a huge success. He explains it does. Yeah, he does. He does. That, that's true. That's right. true. It just wasn't enough for me. Uh, we have the Bond villain trope with those two grasshoppers reciting the plan verbatim detail for detail that just happens to take place in front of the ladybugs, the blueberries that are hiding in the tree right. at the end. So they're clued into what the actual plan from Hopper is. Right. There's just certain, you know, a lot of the climax of the emotional stakes of the plot is tied in and happens because of these coincidences that, you know... It's one thing if, if it was this movie that came from out of nowhere and that's fine, but we just came off. It's not fair to compare it to Toy Story, but you didn't have these issues in Toy Story. You proved you're capable of writing a movie without doing those things. That definitely is a coincidence that they eavesdrop on the two guys spitting out the plan. That's That definitely is a Word for, like, everything. You don't have to talk about squishing the queen's head. If you and I were working for an overlord, right, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the overlord's ploy was to, like, we're going to invade this earth, but when we invade this island, regardless of what happens, I'm going to murder the queen. I'm not going to say to you, we're here, that, don't you remember the plan? We're here, we got to take everything, yeah. and then if all goes well, don't you remember we're going to kill the queen anyway? You have more of a blabbermouth than me. Uh, just sure, in yeah. movie theaters everywhere but even you wouldn't do that no no i i agree with you yeah i have a problem with that as well i would agree uh so let's get into final thoughts here mike the movie definitely makes me think of all my debts financial and otherwise scares me reminds me of my mortality but it does give me hope that we can all stand together as a group pull off a mr robot and obviously a seven samurai a bug's life and overcome our oppressors did <laughs> and my oppressor is Sally May uh, did did the conflict I guess the B story conflict I right. get in that in did flicks hiding that they're circus performers do you think that merited the type of response it got? Do you think that was like set up enough to be a big enough deal where the only reaction Ada and the Queen could have had was that you guys got to go, you're banished, we got to go go right back to collecting food. I all of this plan that we just invested all this time and resources in is dumb now. Ada and the Queen are not great at what they do. That's a good point. They're, they're not efficient. That's a good point. I mean, this is definitely male gaze kind of storytelling. Well, in a especially way. since Flick out of nowhere kisses her and she falls for it immediately. And it's a group of six yeah. guys making a mm-hmm. movie. Uh, it, it definitely doesn't work for me in that regard. And, they, and yeah, they never have a plan. 
she just wants to be included in his plans. So you're right. I mean, I, I just felt like it was lacking. Like, okay, yeah, he lied, but at the same time, they got this bird plan off the ground. I like how the plot <laughs> d- devolves into a misunderstanding. I think that works. It works comedically. Like, for, I'm laughing when he morally too. There's that whole, you yeah. know, you got to look inside yourself and overcome your own personal doubts. Because if so, you, you just know. make him a, a liar, that's really just uh, a liar to gain. A influence, devious liar, a devious opposed, yeah. liar, as opposed to, oh my God, this lies rolling out of control right. a little bit. I'm just trying to save face, kind of liar. Yeah, it, it would be a problem, and it definitely would have been a problem for the circus bugs. They were supposed to have ulterior motives, where they were pulling a ruse on. I forget what it was. I read it, but they were pulling a ruse in, in general. They weren't just brought there right. unbeknownst to them to save that you know this town as warriors, which is basically seven samurai. I think there's an ulterior motive with all the samurai. I gotta so, rewatch that. It's been years for me. Yeah, it's been years for me too. I don't remember that, but I th- I think Magnificent Seven. There's something underlying right. where they're trying to get a score of some sort. Yeah, I, I just wondered about that because to me it seemed like you know I may be wrong about that. Now I'm rethinking. I don't. I, yeah. maybe, I don't think. I don't think there is a score, but I'm thinking of the Chris Pratt movie, and I don't remember there being a big score like underlying a thing. All right. They were just heroes. You might have been one of like three people to see that movie though. So not so feather in your cap. Not a good movie, Mike. <laughs> but Denzel and Chris Pratt. Yeah, should no, have been a good. I, movie. I wanted to see it for those reasons. Ugh. I didn't for the reasons everyone this, else did. This is a much much better movie. <laughs> this was a great movie. Uh, this was, you know, I, I I would put it. I don't. We I know we haven't been grading these, but this would be like a solidly B for me if we were to put a grade on this. This was very entertaining. It did harken me yeah. back. There's a lot of nostalgia tied into it for me because I do remember enjoying it quite a lot as a child as well. But uh, yeah, it's certainly worth the rewatch. And if for not no other reason than to see where we are now compared to '98's Pixar. But then again, they're always substantive sure and the, the stakes stand alone on super yeah. high and they're not afraid to put life and death stakes on cartoons yeah no absolutely and, uh, so the, uh, on the one hand i agree with you and i totally thought this was going to be a lesser work but i think, th- well, I think it's, this you know up. what it still may be right you know but just that the quality of everything pixar does is so high it's high quality and i probably would put a b plus on it but we have a three-point curve so that makes Magic. sense yeah but uh, I, I really like this movie, too. Well, do you guys remember seeing this as children? Have you seen A Bug's Life at all? And have you seen it recently? We want to know your thoughts, certainly, as well. You can tell us what you thought about this movie, the Pixar rewatch series we're doing, and more. Reach out to us. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar.com at gmail.com. And on Reddit, we're available everywhere you hear podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there was no Captain Marvel bug. There was no Captain America bug. There was no Thanos bug. No. So I'm sorry for that because I know that's all anyone's <laughs> thinking about this week. We do have multiple episodes yes. on the Avengers, both in our past and in our future coming up. I think it's going to be like a four-episode arc, if not a three-episode arc. It, four it, and mer- half. it merits it. Yeah. It, so that's a, that's going to be on tap for us this week. Look forward to that. Uh, Michael, other than that, any final words of wisdom here? It's the time of your life to live it well. <laughs> Oh, what a bad sound. (laughs) It's not good. (laughs) All right, guys, when reality and the songs you're listening to suck, come watch movies with (laughs) us, and we will check you out next time. See ya. (laughs)